0: The rest of us, we're going to be uh, taking a look. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to uh, the, the letter of 1 Thessalonians, the, the letter we call 1 Thessalonians in your Bible there. If not, you can find it printed in your bulletin. And we've been looking at this community, this these people who in the, the first century and, and one of the very first communities that we have a, a written letter to, to a people, and they're trying to figure out what does life look like after this resurrection of Jesus? After this story of of Christ's death and resurrection and and his uh, presentation to people on earth and his ascension into heaven, how then do we live? How does the light of the resurrection give us light? How does it change the way we think and the way we act? And so we're diving in here uh, ...in chapter 2, verse 17, as, as the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica... ...these people that he got to be with for a short time before being chased away uh, by the mobs of persecution. So join with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart... We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, as we uh, eavesdrop in on this letter As we eavesdrop in on the lives and the words and the thoughts of the brothers and sisters who have gone before us, Lord. As we try to figure out what life on this world looks like, God, I pray that by your spirit you would give us an ear to hear what it is that you showed them. Give us the eyes to see what it is that you made in their midst. God, we pray that we would not be the same, but that we would be transformed, changed to look a little bit more like you today than we did yesterday. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if this makes me a a horrible person or not, but I'm going to go ahead and risk it since I'm pretty sure you're all guilty too. I love people watching, right? People watching... I heard on the radio this, this Friday they were trying to, you know, they're hyping up the barbecue fest and I didn't make it down. But but one of the people on the local radio uh, said this is the best people watching uh, experience anywhere in the world is to go to barbecue fest in in Memphis. Because you see all these different people from all these different communities from all these different walks and stages of life people that that you wouldn't necessarily interact with that you wouldn't normally run into on your day-to-day basis but they are there and they're there to have fun and so they each are doing their own thing which means it's something probably different from you right and you get a you get to go to these public places and as you're sitting there uh, you you see who these people are? You you notice the, the the ways that they dress, or the ways that they talk, the way they interact with one another, and of, of course, obviously, you could do this in a very like judgmental and and hateful fashion. But isn't it fascinating to see all these people and all the different ways that they live their lives? Things that some of you could sometimes you can't imagine that they would ever do that, right? Sometimes. Uh, Whitney and I have been guilty on, on dates, right? You, you sit in a restaurant and you look around and you, you see these other couples or you see these groups of people and you start making up their backstory for them, right? Like, okay, this is a blind date over here. We see this, this is awkward, right? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. As we come to this letter of 1 Thessalonians, I'm, I'm gonna suggest to you that this is our uh, divine permission to uh, people watch, okay? It's our divine opportunity to see these people's lives and to wonder, why are they so weird? Or why are they so great? Or what is it that's going on in their lives? What is it that makes them tick? What is it that makes them who they are? I've already suggested a number of times that there is something that has happened to these people that these people over and over and over again in this letter return to this story of Jesus, this resurrection from the dead, this Jesus who went into heaven and who will come again one day, and it radically transforms the friendships, the relationships, the community, the church community that was there. And so if you're with me reading this, you... You realize, and you're watching these people, and you're watching as Paul interacts with these folks, and you're going, okay, they're really tight. They're really close, right? In fact, it's, it's almost like a creepy kind of, of closeness, right? Think about uh, these words. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. For what is our hope or our joy or a crown of boasting for before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Remember that, that Paul has like not known these people that long. In the, in the Acts it tells us he he, was, he uh, ministered in the synagogue for three for three sabbaths we don't know so he could have been there three weeks he could have been there three months we don't, we're not sure but it's it's what's clear is that it was a, a, a relatively short amount of time a short enough time that like if you only knew someone for three months and they said to you you are my glory and joy isaac right that's a little bit weird right it's a little bit creepy can we can we get out of our bible speak uh notions and and acknowledge that Right? There's something weird about the intensity of the emotions. There's something weird about the intensity of the letters. I mean, verse 8, right? For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. Right? It, it, it's like a love letter. I don't know whether to be creeped out or to be in awe. I don't know whether I should uh, be worried about these people or whether I should want to be like them. But as we are, like good people watchers, prone to do, we're going to look at the words that Paul says to these people. And we're going to ask these questions, what is this kind of relationship? Well, how is this kind of a relationship, this kind of, of, of intimate bonding, how this kind of, of intimate friendship possible? And the second question is, is, how is it or is it that these relationships are Desirable? How is it possible, and is it even desirable? The first is, is how is this kind of emotional attachment, this kind of, of relationship possible when they've known each other for just a, a small little window of time? When you think about relationships, every friendship, every romantic relationship, every relationship of any sort, of any flavor is based upon common ground, right? Uh, it, it could be that you grew up on the same street, right, as the kid down the block, and so you've been friends for life. It could be um, that you have the, the the same passion for a hobby or for a band or, or for a sport, right? It could be that you've gone through a, a similar experience, right? You've, you've been on a, a team or a committee together. You've uh, been to war together, uh, metaphorically or in real life, right? These are the relationships. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said the start of every relationship is, is when one looks at another and goes, You too? You too? I thought I was the only one. I thought I was alone in this passion, in this love, in this experience, but you too are there. When we come to this text, we see something repeated over and over again. And I think it's something that gives us a tip to why this relationship is the way that it is. Why even after just a short little period of time, Paul could explain and describe his relationship with such Passion and, and devotion. Because, mind you, remember, these people are not of the same race. Paul is a Jew, and, and the church is predominantly uh, Greek. These people didn't live in the same region of the country. Paul has traveled on a very long missionary journey to the other side of the Mediterranean Sea to be with these people. This is not a common and ordinary relationship. It's not a relationship you would expect unless unless if something dramatic has happened. Unless if something traumatic has happened. And what we see even in these few verses that I've read is two times in these verses Paul refers to this this event. He refers to this event of the Lord Jesus at his coming. Which you, If you know the, the Christian story, the Christian faith, that there's this progression of, of Jesus coming into the world, and he lived, and he died, and he rose from the grave, and he ascended. And, and then we all live in this time and place between Christ going up into heaven and Christ returning. What is it that has drawn this community together? What is it that has linked, that has bound them as brothers? seems to be this story. This belief, this historical reality that Jesus really did, in fact, come. That he really did, in fact, die. That he really did rise from the the dead and ascended into heaven. It was the expectation, the lived-out expectation that Jesus would come again that shaped this relationship. We see it in verse 19. We see it again at the end in in verse 19. Verses 11 to 13. That Christ's resurrection is what makes this relationship possible. But it isn't like in our world we think of, okay, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. You know, it's it's an easy, it's a trite thing to say. But it's, it is not just a thing in the past, but it is something that is shaping their, their, their future, their ongoing life together. I think about... Um, last summer we were in East Tennessee and, and we took the kids and, and my parents on the, this little like one mile hike up to see this this waterfall right and it's like way too busy of a trail because it's a one-mile hike to go see a waterfall right there's tons of people it's a paved trail right it's it's like you're passing people left and right all the way up all the way up the hill and um, for the most part, you might you know, nod your head, you might say hi, but most part you're just passing acquaintances. But then uh, on our way back down the trail, something happened. There was a, a little cub bear that passed across to, or across his path, right? And you know to fear a, a cub bear because mama bears usually not far behind. Right? And so all of a sudden, this one singular event transformed the whole trail, the whole, all the way up and down as people started relaying the message, all the way up and down the trail from the bottom to the top, there was a bear, there's a bear, there's a bear, right? And you didn't just like, oh, cool, there's a bear around you, right? No, you you made sure those kids didn't run ahead of you, right? You held on to them, right? You you tightened up or you slowed down, You. You waited to hear the news, and every single person that you came across, you you got an update, you got a, an expectation. How is the bear still there? Has the bear moved on? Is the mother bear been seen? Right? It's a kind of thing that transforms the very community. So, if I'm being honest, as I look at First Thessalonians and I read this like language, it's so sugary and sappy that I, I'm tempted to think that it's fake that it's, Paul's just putting on a show. But what if he's not? What if the resurrection impacted their communal life together in such a, a, a way even more so than a bear sighting on the trail you're on? What if the story of Jesus going from death to life to the heavens transformed the very way that they saw one another? Right, at least nominally, that's what's true of, of our little church body, right? We always say we, we gather in light of the resurrection. And yet, I think that if for many of us, um, if we think about what kind of relationships we really want out of church, if we think about the kind of relationships we really have at church, they're not that much different from relationships that I want anywhere else, right? I, I want somebody that I can laugh with or have a drink with, somebody that that maybe on a, a um, on a rainy day or if I'm in a stuck position, somebody I could call up and, and ask for a favor, right? But we're more than content to leave most of the time relationships in a gather people, a, a group of people, and we say, you know, they're... Uh, really fun at a cocktail party or they're really great to play golf with they're really great and they're they're always so sweet and kind but there's nothing that's really different and i wonder if part of that is because we we forget what it is this link that's supposed to bind us that the talk that we have with one another rarely if ever remembers this resurrection of jesus that the relationships, while we um, share and laugh and, and are with another, it somehow seems so weird and unnatural to, to pray. To be uh, people who, who share our doubts and our fears with one another. It seems like we resist that temptation because, quite frankly, I kind of like having my distance. I kind of like being in a place where someone is not looking after me and, and is so uh, concerned that they send someone else to come exhort and establish me in the faith. I kind of feel like, hey, look, I, I kind of got this thing going here, right? I don't need someone else. But as we look at this relationship, we see that these relationships are not just based on this idea of the resurrection, but that resurrection meant that they had to change, that their the, the life could no longer look the same way possible, that this resurrected life had a necessary end game, and, and that's where it asks us, are these relationships even what we want? Is this kind of relationship to be known like that, to be exhorted like that, to be challenged like that, is that even what I want? This is starting to sound more and more like a, um, I don't know, like a, a school project, right? Do you, you all remember school projects? Like who, re, who liked school projects as a, as a child? Nobody, right? They're the worst, right? If, you, if you're a diligent student and the, the teacher gives you a, a group project, Right? You just went, okay, this is a, a group project that's now going to take me five times longer to complete, right? I got to deal with the, the, the kid who, like, isn't going to do anything, right? You know he's not going to do anything. He's just going to take whatever grade you earn for him, right? You, you know you got the, the, the overachiever that, that wants to micromanage everything you do. You have, uh, my wife just looked at me and said, you, uh... Right, But the the group project is awful because you have to do it with these other people, these people that have different modes, and they have different time, and they have different ideas, and they have different capabilities. They're people that, quite frankly, you're like, I could just do this a lot easier by myself. I could get through it a lot quicker by myself. Why do I need to work with these people? And yet these relationships that, that... Paul describes, right? It's, it's clear that they're in each other's business, that that, that they have a role to play, right? Uh, Paul sends Timothy to go and, and to establish and exhort you in your faith. Paul is worried that without this sort of fellowship, without this sort of connection, that these peoples would, would drift away and they would lose the importance of the story, that they uh, would be tempted, right? And that their labor would be, in vain in verse 10 it says uh, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and to supply what is lacking in your faith if, if the Thessalonians are going into this relationship going hey look I can do uh, religion my way I can know God on my terms are uh, about to be abruptly disrupted right but it's more than that. You, you see here at the end this, this great benediction, this prayer of blessing, that the Lord may make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, which is a very active kind of love in the Bible, a kind of love that gets in each other's lives. I want you to have this love so that you might, your hearts may be blameless in holiness before our God and Father. I want you all to be in such great relationship with one another... ...such constant relationship with one another... ...such focused relationship with one another... ...that that is the means by which... ...when Jesus comes again... ...he will find you to be faithful in service. Paul says in verse 19... ...he says to them... "...what is my hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming... What is it that is going to, to give me a, a pause, that is going to give me a well-done, good, and faithful servant when Jesus comes? And he says that like the answer is obvious to us, right? He says, you, you are joy or crown. But I read that and I'm going, I could think of a few things that I would like to be my joy and crown, right? Like my, my uh, good deeds, right? The way I treated this person, the way that I uh, resisted temptation on that one time out of, of 32, right? I the uh, I think that I on the day of, of Christ's coming that that the crown of boasting I'll have is is that I have studied God's word so well and yet what Paul says is what the the joy that I have the crown of boasting I have in God's kingdom he doesn't use the word I once he says the joy the boast of my life is that you have been transformed that you have experienced the resurrected life. It's an entirely different frame of reference. It's one that, like, my, my brain doesn't even know how to, to compute, right? It's, it's one of the, okay, so I don't know if this will make any sense at all, disclaimer, right? But, okay, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I'm a do gooder performance kind of person, right? That's just my, my niche. So I am really good at being self righteous, okay? I'm really good at thinking I have figured it out. I'm really good at thinking, like, I know what God wants and, and, and I can do it, right? And thus, I've uh, numerous times in my life come up with great ways to pretend like I'm a righteous, good, and, and holy person, right? The, the, the times that I pretend like, well, you know, back when I used to lust, you know. Back when, uh, before I started my morning devotional, right? There's all these things, and all of those things are based upon a framework of how I think of what righteousness is, of of what I think the faith is. There's never been once in my entire Christian life where I faked it, where I pretended like I was more concerned about your spiritual well-being than mine. Never once have I gauged myself, graded myself based upon whether you can see the hope and the joy of the resurrection more than me. My entire focus of Jesus coming back is that he would find me righteous And hopefully y'all are on the same page, right? But the kind of community, the kind of, of relationships that occur in this letter, that we see modeled in this letter, that we see exhorted in this letter, are the kinds of relationships that are desperately concerned with one another. That we look more like Jesus. That we become a people who understand his work and his justice and his hope and his purity. And we taste His love, right? The reason that your teacher assigns group projects is not because of efficiency. The reason a teacher assigns a group project is not so that the smartest person in the group gets to to understand the material better, right? The reason a teacher assigns a group project is because we all, he wants the whole class. She wants the whole group. To understand the material, to be able to apply the material, to be able to work together, right? They want us to be able to, to use this information for the good of everyone. God's reminding us, I think, in this passage. What he was reminding the Thessalonians is that you're not the center of the classroom. The whole classroom, the group project, is not based upon you, but it's based on upon what God is doing through y'all. And so many of us uh, are beating our heads against the, the chalkboard of life, wondering why we aren't growing ourselves and wondering why those around us aren't growing. We wonder whether uh, we'd each- even need to bother with this church thing. It's so awkward and weird and the pastor makes awkward jokes and, and you have to do that weird greeting time where you stand up and shake one another's hands like, who wants to go to this place? What good is it, right? I could be listening to Tim Keller at home. Why am I here? But there's something about a resurrected community life. There's something about the y'all and I don't know what us, you know, right? There's something that happens in the resurrection that, the, that this kind of life, this kind of life that's anchored on the resurrection is not just possible. It's not just desirable. That it's necessary for us to become the kind of people that God has created us and redeemed us to be. There is something in this experiment, no matter how weird and awkward, that reminds our hearts over and over and over again that the resurrection is real and that it matters. That the things that I care for in life can be shaped by that hope, by that joy, by those expectations that our desires for our relationships, we've settled for far too little. And I can't help but think of what this neighborhood, of what this world would see as they people watch us, right? As they take a glimpse into what our communal life looks like together. Do they see, as Jesus says in John, they will know my disciples by your love for one another, or do they see a bunch of individuals who are trying to, to make it on their own? Do they see a, a group of people who really actually believe that the resurrection changes who they are and who changes the way that they do friendships and life together? Or do they see a group of people who are happy to sing a song and move on to the next Our life together is built not just for us to know Christ, but that the world would see and the world would know that that love is possible for them too. Brothers and sisters, that is the resurrected life. That is the hope of why we get together this morning. And that's what God is is doing slowly and surely in us all. Pray with me. God, we pray this morning. Lord, that you would continue your work of changing us. That you would continue your good work of making us to be not just a new person, but a new people. That you would make your truth and your life and your love spread into our community groups and into our Bible studies and into our neighboring of one another. Lord, that we would be a people who, who can speak honestly about our struggles and our sins because we all share the same struggle, that we have not been made completely new in your new kingdom yet. God, that we long to see the power of your resurrection. God, show it in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.